for our, our little seminar on joy. We're desperately aware that we had a, a, a whole service earlier with a sermon that was quite heavy and, and, and sobering. And a lot of you, I know, will be here this evening too for church uh, as we continue our series through the Ten Commandments. So this is designed to be quite relaxed and kind of we're all going to do a, a little bit of, of thinking together. But our topic, as you see it over there, it is joy. What is joy and how on earth do we respond to the Bible's uh, teaching on joy? So while you're at your tables, maybe like in, in twos and threes, just a, a wee question to get the, the kind of brain juices uh, moving. Um, what would your understanding be of, of Christian joy? Go for it. Chat in, 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 your, in your twos and threes. Hello, everybody. We gave you barely any time um, to, to think about that question. Um, but maybe as we, as we chat through things, um, you guys will be able to continue thinking about this um, uh, topic. Elise, what gives you joy? A lot of things, John. Good coffee, walks, good friends, seeing all your faces here. It's just delightful. Oh, isn't, it, isn't that lovely? I was having a conversation uh, at my table, and we, some of us concluded that one of the most joyful things in this life is receiving a hug from Samuel Hignett. Uh, I, I, I won't mention who said that. Uh, apparently, they, they, he doesn't... Um, it's not like confetti. It's only a select people that uh, get a Samuel uh, Hignett hug, which provides much joy. Um, I also think find coffee incredibly joyful. Um, but, um, yeah. but here's a, a different question, Elise. What would your understanding of Christian joy have been maybe before this seminar, uh, maybe as you like, became a Christian and were thinking mm. about these things? Yeah. I think growing up, especially as a teenager, the, my idea of, of joy felt slightly unattainable, the Christian idea of we need to remain joyful, an emotion that's kind of warm and happy, and especially because for many years I struggled with depression and anxiety, I felt it was very unattainable. Sure. What about you, John? Yeah, I think similarly. I grew up in a, in a Christian home, and I was taught uh, the catechism growing up, and I, you know, first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, you know, what's man's chief end? And it says to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I think growing up, I just like could not marry those two. Glorify God sounds like going to church and doing the right things and obeying. Where's the joy in that? And, and so I, I probably would have had a kind of like mm, unattainable thing as well. When I think of joy, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, Amy Poehler's character in Inside Out, which is an excellent film. What if emotions had emotions is essentially the plot of the film. Um, but yeah, I think that would have been my kind of understanding of joy, unrealistic, unattainable, a, a bit like yourself. We're, we're going to turn to the Bible, and you've got Bibles at your, uh, on your tables, and Samuel's going to go to the next slide. Um, I'd love for you to spend some, some, some time looking at these passages. Um, some of them have got more context than others, but simply just one question, what do we learn about joy um, from these passages? So maybe for, for seven or eight minutes at our tables, let's, shall we look at those passages? Let's do it. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, guys. Um, 
I hope that was a, a, a short but, but helpful exercise in just getting a, a broader picture of what the, the Bible says is joy. And I guess if we were to try and, and define it, you know, is it ecstatic euphoria or, or calm delight? One thing I didn't mention earlier is, you know, I grew up in Peru, and for me, joy, at least visibly, seemed to be like at church, people singing and dancing and, oh my goodness, you think I'm excitable? Like... Most Peruvians are me on steroids. And, um, and I thought if I didn't have that, I wasn't a real Christian. So, so what is joy? Um, a lot of the words that you guys saw in the passages that you read, I did a little survey of, of, of what it says in, in the Greek. The word is hara. And it's fascinating how it's used throughout um, the New Testament. Um, you know, what is joy? Well, it's actually both. The overflowing with rejoicing and calm delight. You know, there's gladness and, and to rejoice exceedingly with dancing, sure. But there's also to, to be well in your soul. You guys will know the, the, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. The, the author wrote that after a shipwreck that, that killed is it his, both his daughters and his wife. Um, and, in, and in that context, he writes, It Is Well With My Soul. And that's the kind of similar biblical idea when we look at how the word is used throughout the, the, the New Testament. I'm, I'm going to read a passage for all of us. Can I invite you to turn to, to Luke chapter 10? We're just going to hear Jesus' words on this. Uh, Samuel, can you put the next... Um, oh, brilliant. Thank you, mate. So those are some questions to be thinking about as I, as I read this out loud. We're going to read Luke 10, 1 to 12, and then we're going to jump to 17 to 24. This is an instance with Jesus' disciples. And after the, the first part of the narrative, in the second one, Jesus talks about a wrong kind of joy and a right kind of joy. So, so listen out for, for that stuff, okay? So Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom and, um, than for that town. And we're just going to jump to, to, to verse um, 17. Jesus has sent them out on this mission, and then they return. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, 
that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's a really interesting um, account, isn't it? Jesus sends out a group of the disciples to, to preach the gospel and, and heal the sick. He warned them that they would be rejected in a lot of these places. I imagine the disciples were um, scared uh, about their, their mission. Luke doesn't explicitly tell us, but he does tell us the attitude of the disciples when they return. They returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are, are subject to us um, in your name. Why were they, they so overjoyed? Well, because they had been successful. God had used them, and they had seen God, God's power working through them uh, in their ministry. Uh, and also we're told that they were happy because the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. So, so I guess they were overjoyed at two things, um, success uh, and power. Uh, incidentally, these are the kinds of uh, things that typically give us joy um, also. But Jesus didn't quite enter into their joy, did he? I mean, what a response verse 18 is when they come back absolutely overjoyed. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I can't imagine that's what the response they were expecting from their boss who just sent them out. Um, and I guess that, that little section, Jesus' response, it's, it's worthwhile pondering uh, on those words. Jesus obviously understood the excitement of his followers who had enjoyed success in ministry. But he warned them against having a misplaced basis or, or grounds for their joy. He said that they should not rejoice that, um, that the demons were subject to them, but rather they should rejoice that their names were, were written in heaven. And, and here the, the Lord Jesus identi identifies that the, the supreme foundation for Christian joy our, our joy is to come from the assurance that we have redemption in Christ, that our sins are forgiven, that our future is secure because of what Jesus did. According to Jesus, the greatest joy that a person can have is to know that their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm using the language of Revelation, but it's the same idea. That he or she is saved and will live forever with Jesus. I shared part of my testimony with you guys um, last week if you were um, at church. And if you want to ask me any questions about that, sure, grab me at any point. But I can certainly speak from my experience as a, a believer. Um, knowing that your sins are forgiven provides a, a tremendous relief, a tremendous peace. And it can sometimes be overflowing joy that looks like smiles and swinging violently during the songs um, at church. But sometimes it is the calm delight of knowing that I have no guilt anymore because of what Jesus has done for me. I want you to listen to what, what King David um, says in Psalm 51. Um, it's probably one of the greatest examples of, of repentance, of someone asking for forgiveness. Um, and David says, um, after asking God for lots of things, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Those who have experienced the, the forgiveness of God and the initial joy of it always need to have that joy restored. 
have the guilt of our continuing sin removed so that joy may return. And so Jesus speaks of the wrong kind of joy, an ultimate joy that's grounded in what he's done for us. And I wonder if it might be okay if in your twos and threes again, we, we might reflect, um, you know, where, why, where might we be in danger of, of misplacing the, the, the source of our joy? Are we a bit like the disciples who success and power, maybe for us it's academic success, uh, and the power that, that, that money or that status or a job can bring? Um, what sorts of things may be robbing you of the right kind of joy? You know, what barriers are, are in the way? What is stopping you from enjoying the joy of your name being written um, in heaven? Uh, it's a big question um, and uh, one that takes a lot of um, careful introspection and reflection. But maybe turn to the, the twos and threes on your table and we'll do that just for a couple of minutes. Um, we want feedback on that. Um, but now the most joyful member of the staff is going to take us over. Thank you, John. So we've already had a think about what biblical joy is, and we know it's something that is a gift of the gospel. Earlier we read Galatians 5 verse 22 in our groups and saw that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, along with love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So joy is something that is ours in Christ. In all of life, we can deeply know gospel joy. Yet we saw that it is also a mindset that we are commanded to put on throughout our Christian lives. So over the last few minutes of our time together, we're going to look at how we can be joyful, how we can put on joy and cultivate it in our lives. As John mentioned earlier, we often equate joy with happiness. And we tend to think of our experience of happiness as something passive, something which we cannot fully control and something which kind of comes and goes depending on our circumstances, what's going on in our lives. But the New Testament makes clear to us that unlike our experience of happiness, joy in the Christian life is an imperative and an obligation for us. The necessary negative of this means that when we fail to be joyful in the gospel, we are falling into sin. And we see a clear example of such a command to rejoice in Philippians 4 verse 4. As Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. He doesn't just say it once, but twice. So there's no room for not rejoicing in the gospel in the Christian life. But this gospel joy will look different at different times in our lives. How can we deeply rejoice always, even when we are faced with disappointment, pain, grief, and suffering? We often feel far from joyful, and instead we find our hearts cold and indifferent as we lose sight of the glorious gospel in the distractions and trials of everyday life. So if real biblical joy is something that we can truly have and permanently have, how do we get it? So firstly, we're going to think about how we can rejoice in suffering. For every single one of us here, there will have been times where we have faced deep sadness and suffering in our lives. And we see and feel the brokenness of the world around us. 
And it's perfectly right and valid for us to experience disappointment and mourning and sorrow and grief. Isaiah 53 calls Jesus himself a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 verse 4, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we don't need to feel guilty when we experience suffering and disappointment in life. However, the gospel promises that even through the most difficult and trying circumstances, we can still have biblical joy deep in our hearts. And the glorious gift of the gospel is a sure and unfailing hope, a hope that remains true no matter our circumstances, which means that even in our darkest moments, the Lord is still steadfast and is unfailing in his love for us. Our future hope of heaven remains and provides real comfort amid suffering in the present. Our Christian joy runs much deeper than the feeling of happiness, and it won't always look like celebration and singing and dancing, as John was saying. But in God's kindness, we can rejoice even in our darkest times because of what Jesus has done for us. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4 says, Count all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Here, James is encouraging us to count trials as joy, even if we do not feel joyful about the trial we are going through. He is telling us to count it all joy because of what trials produce, which is steadfastness in faith. And similarly, Romans 5 verses 3 to 4 says that suffering leads to perseverance, growth in character and hope. And therefore, the suffering and difficulties that we face are not futile. And instead, we can be encouraged, knowing that God is working all things for the good of us as his people, even in and through the sorrow and suffering that we face in this life. And God has a purpose for us in our suffering, and in all of it, we are told to rejoice. Secondly, we're going to have a look at the command to rejoice always. So let's return to Philippians 4, verses 4 to 8. And if you can turn with me, please do. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here in Philippians, the glorious gospel, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, is in view. And Paul's readers were facing persecution, even death, serious threats. And Paul himself wrote this letter from prison. So how can we remain joyful? How can these readers remain joyful always in those circumstances? Well, Paul tells us that it's about the person we are rejoicing in. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord in verse 4. He is the source of our joy. In his book, Can I Have Joy in My Life, R.C. Sproul helpfully says, 
If Christ is in me and I am in him, that relationship is not a sometimes experience. The Christian is always in the Lord and the Lord is always in the Christian. And that is always a reason for joy. God never leaves us or forsakes us. And our union with Christ is objective and unchanging. His work for us is final and complete. So as Christians, we have every reason to rejoice. We should be the most joyous people on earth because we have the truth of the gospel. And this is why Paul repeatedly commands his readers to rejoice. Yet we are prone to forget the hope and the joy that we possess. And we often lose perspective as our worldly circumstances loom large in our minds. And I know I certainly do lose perspective. At times it's going to be hard to pursue and cultivate gospel joy in the Christian life. We may not be able to find joy in our circumstances. So we need to stay rooted in the source of our joy. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Whatever is true whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Here Paul is calling us to dwell upon the Lord, to let our perspective on life be shaped by the lens of the glorious gospel. We are called to cultivate a gospel mindset. We need to go to God in prayer, staying close to him and reading his word. But spending time with God in prayer and in his word won't make us more Christians when we are in Christ. And not doing those things won't make us less Christian. But we can much better enjoy our union with Christ when we do those things. Gospel joy can be our present reality, and yet we have so much more joy to come. God's word points us forward towards the future and we look forward to when we will experience full and complete joy for eternity in the new creation with God. We're going to think about this a little bit further in our groups. A couple of questions should come up onto the slides. Um, And we're going to discuss those questions in our groups for a few minutes before we close with a song. Thanks, guys.